This Monday is February 29th, Leap Day. This may be news to you if those other every four-year events like the presidential election and Summer Olympics hadn't already tipped you off. I was going to explain what it is and how it works, but you probably already know the deal, more or less. Julius Caesar, Pope Gregory. It's about the discrepancy between the calendar year and the solar year. Hence this little day added to the end of February every four years to balance things out. You know this. And if you don't know this, then you probably at least kind of know this. And you probably at least kind of know this because every four years there are boatloads of articles on the internet explaining leap year as if this scheduled event dating back to the Egyptians somehow snuck up on us. Like today, googling history of leap year, it pulls about 19 million results. The top one being, why do we have leap year on uh, history.com, which is a great URL. We're going back to the last leap year in 2012, this Huffington Post article, The Science and History Behind February 29th. You can go back a while with these articles. Less relevantly, but my favorite came in 2004 with this New York Daily News article, quote, Leap Day Leap Links, Woman Gives Birth for Her Third Consecutive Leap Day. Leap Day is quirky and a little bizarre, and it's interesting because it shows the malleability of our calendar, and we tend to think of calendars as sort of the opposite. There's nothing quite so predictable and boring as the days of the week or the months of the year. So it's not all that surprising that we revive these history of stories each time we have a daylight savings or a leap year. Four years is a long time to think about Pope Gregory. But I feel like this recycling, rote, rediscovery of existing information happens online on a constant basis. You ever see that on Facebook where somebody posts some old article or meme and the first comment's like, old? Or like when a marginal celebrity dies and they get some mourning online and remembrances, but then, you know, we slowly forget and a few years later somebody posts an article where it's like, they died again. Ask Abe Vigoda. Rest in peace, Abe. The internet has endless memory in the archival sense, but it also has amnesia, or rather perennial amnesia. Throughout the year, we get fed these articles about the real story behind some mundane, normally unheralded event, like holidays. These are articles you can set your watch to. Like New Year's Day articles about hangover cures. My cure? Drink less the night before. Or the history of Punxsutawney Phil, the story they don't want you to know. Or why do we celebrate presidents' birthdays on the totally wrong days? What are the Ides of March? And more importantly, what is an Ide? What's behind April Fool's? What's behind Labor Day? Why is there a Flag Day when we all know that tapestries are the real heroes? Anything that can be Googled, Wikipedia'd, and enumerated with 30-word paragraphs will be created and reshared on a yearly basis. Sites like Mental Floss and Yahoo Answers, which I love, by the way, have created this mini-industry of pseudo-historical, sorta-scientific articles about quirky things we encounter on a daily or yearly or four-yearly basis. And that quirk aspect is important. We forget these stories because they're forgettable. They're just interesting enough to click on, but not enough to remember 12 months later. And it's not as if this information changes. As far as I know, the Ides of March means the same thing today as it did when I learned about it in sixth grade. Okay, so this is nothing new in journalism and nothing new in internet culture. This comes with the territory. Finding things that we encounter on a consistent basis but don't necessarily question or investigate beyond a, huh, once in a while. These stories are cute and they don't go stale. 
and they don't really offend people, which totally explains why they do so well on the internet and seem to endure year after year. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So coming up next, unless you celebrate Caesar's death, it's St. Patrick's Day on March 17th. Let me save you some time. He brought Christianity to Ireland, he's their patron saint, and he got rid of the snakes. See, saved you a click. Happy Leap Day, everybody. Welcome to the City Paper Podcast. I'm Alex Gordon. Thank you so much for listening. We have a great show for you today. Producer Ashley Murray digs into ride sharing. I ride the elevators with City Paper's senior editors. And Celine observes the great regional holiday known as the Southside Soup Contest. Thanks for listening. It's been two years since ride-hailing or ride-sharing services like Lyft and Uber came to Pittsburgh. You've probably heard about protests by traditional taxi drivers against these companies, worldwide and here in Pennsylvania. But there's another party who's growing disgruntled. The drivers. They want to know why a multi-billion dollar company like Uber has cut rates twice in the past six months. This is the main feature story in our city paper print edition this week by freelance writer Kim Lyons. So producer Ashley Murray took a ride across town to learn more from one of the Uber drivers here in Pittsburgh. Let's get started. Drive safely. So it looks like we got about seven minutes to get there. All set? All right. All right. I'm here in the car with an Uber driver named Joe. Uh, he doesn't want to give his last name for fear of being deactivated by uh, Uber. But I'm here talking to him about what it's like to be in the ride-hailing industry in Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, I've been driving Lyft and Uber since uh, the beginning of, of the ride-share industry in Pittsburgh. Um, March of 2014 for Lyft, and then April of 2014 is when Uber came into the city. So basically a month after. So almost I've been doing this almost exactly two years now, and I've seen a lot of changes in the industry over such a short period of time, which is amazing how fast technology moves. And um, just to keep on top of the rideshare industry is, you know, it's it's a task itself. What changes have you seen in the two years that you've been driving Lyft and Uber? Well, when I first started, I the the going rate was a little over $2 a mile, and um, Uber decided to do a price drop. Um, they dropped it down to $1.20, which at the time it really hurt, and of course drivers were pretty upset about the fact that, you know, their income has gone down. But then uh, the most recent hit that really hurt drivers and forced um, some of the drivers to actually go into a formal uh, strike. Um, over the Valentine's Day and President's Day weekend, uh, they dropped the price down to 90 cents a mile, of which Lyft didn't uh, decrease their rates right away, but due to the competition and the fact that they're, they're worried about losing their, their industry if they don't compete with Uber uh, as far as price matching, they uh, basically were forced to drop their prices as well. Um, so in the rideshare industry, most drivers are calling this the race to the bottom. So it seems that the industry is all about, you know, how cheap can we make this service and 
have as far as drivers, what's the cheapest we can get a driver out there to do this set set job? Remind me again of the percentage that Uber takes. Uh, well, for drivers that have started in, in the city up until I believe November of 2015, it was a 20% cut for Uber X. Uber XL, which is the SUV line or, or minivans, etc., um, that's the XL line. That's 28% commission. Um, if you were a newer driver, so if you signed up between November 2015 and current date um, and into the future, it's a 25% commission paid to Uber. So the 90 cents per mile and then the 25% or 28% Uber X, Uber XL from that. Yeah. Put it this way if it's a $10 ride, um, your 20% cut brings you down to $8 profit. Uh, take the $1.60 safe ride fee uh, off of that, which goes straight to Uber. As That's for the background checks and to verify that your driver is safe and all those things. Um, so that really is in question there. That $1.60 is your money being spent well. Um, but that takes down from profitability. And then the driver also has to pay for their own gas. They have to pay for wear and tear on their car. They have to pay their insurance, make sure everything's up to specs for, for a safe ride. And um, all said and done, I would say, honestly, between anywhere from 250 to $4 is your actual profit on a $10 ride, money you take home, because drivers are considered independent contractors. And the tax um, regulations for us is 30% of our income. So if it's a $10 ride, we're paying 30%. Hello, Bistro. Forbes app? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're in the Uber with an uh, actual rider who requested Joe as their driver. And she needs to get to work in Oakland. The passenger said she's fine with that, so it's a little little different situation, right? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> thank you for letting me intrude on your ride to work. She just wants to get to work. Understandable. What time do you have to be there? I have to be there at 10. We should be there about 7 or 8 minutes. No problem. Thank you. Sure. So tell me about the um, the tip option. So I, I've i taken ride share services before, and I have both the Uber and Lyft apps on my phone. And I did notice that Lyft, I have the option to give the driver a tip, and... Um, I'm new to Uber, so I was very confused that there wasn't the option to give a tip. Sure. Um, when Uber came about to Pittsburgh, um, like I said, two years ago, uh, they would advertise there's no need to tip your drivers. It's all included in the fare. Everything's totally included. Recently, they stopped saying that it's included and that if you want a tip, it's a cash tip. Um, drivers have been asking since the beginning of time here in Pittsburgh, so two years now, drivers have still keep asking uh, Uber to just please, you guys are a software company, please just put in tipping functionality. It's so simple. With this day and age, um, a lot of people don't have cash on hand because they use their debit cards all the time, and I, I totally understand that. And a lot of times people say to me, hey, man, I, I would love to give you a tip. Unfortunately, I just don't have cash on me. And I'm like, hey, that's cool. Just... You know, food for thought next time you're with your driver. Just just think about that if, you know. Uber's about the best thing that happened to Pittsburgh. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good interview. Have a good day. Take care of yourself. Have a nice day. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if you're from Pittsburgh, but um, it, it has been so much easier to go out 
and then get home now that there's Uber and Lyft. And I gotta admit, it's pretty awesome to have these apps here. How can we fix this so that it's good for the drivers and for us as riders? Because I'm gonna disclose right now that I use Uber and, and Lyft, you know, probably every other week. You're asking me how to fix this. How can we fix this so that we can have this awesome that's a really, service That's here? a really great question because as drivers, um, we all love doing what we do. At the end of the day, you know, it really comes down to being paid enough to do the service and being paid what you're worth. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today for the City Paper Podcast. Sure, I appreciate it. It's good to be able to get the word out about Uber and Lyft and uh, just have everybody more knowledgeable about the whole industry. Thank you. Bye-bye. To read more in-depth on this topic, including how Uber is trying to develop its driverless cars right here in Pittsburgh, check out our news feature this week by Kim Lyons. Pick up a free copy or go to www.pthcitypaper.com. Now we're going to try something new for our weekly discussion with editor Charlie Deach. Today we're also joined by associate editor Al Hoff and arts editor Bill O'Driscoll for a panel discussion on politics, arts, and some thoughts on our main story for this week. But instead of all five of us cramming into the recording studio, we decided instead to cram into the elevators of the city paper office. Sort of like a small-scale town hall discussion for people who like to stumble awkwardly into an elevator full of journalists arguing. So beforehand, producer Ashley Murray and I gave it a test run to go over the topics and see how an elevator interview might work. Two folks hopped on while we were planning the questions. I want to do something better than um, what do you make of the presidential campaign. You, yeah. Yeah, if we could do something like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. What do you think? I, I think you could come up with something better than that. Yeah. I, see, <laughs> I like this guy. I yeah. see the, the fire... You know, the passion. Don't you see the passion? Yeah, absolutely. People say that a lot about (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get started with Al Hoff and her take on the presidential election this week. This week? I don't know. This election has just been crazy. It's pretty much a gift from the gods to me because I love early crazy primary season, and it's been up to nine months of that by now. Uh, Even last night I just saw on Twitter, Nate Silver's like, I don't know. Giant shrug. I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. The pundits, I think probably the most amazing thing is the pundits have not only been wrong since last summer, but just in the last week, they've essentially admitted that they have no idea what's going on. But at what point does it stop being funny and start being, like, panic-inducing with Donald Trump? I don't know. I think I'm starting to hit that point a little bit because you don't think so, Al? I feel like at this point I'm doing better than the pundits because unlike them, I've watched every season of The Apprentice and I actually feel I have a better understanding of what Donald Trump is doing. I wouldn't be surprised if that guy just completely dropped out later. Really? Uh, After all the time and money he's put in? Why not? This election? He's had his fun. I was going to say it's about ego. He's already kind of, yeah, he's got what he wanted. I mean, I didn't think he ever thought he would become president, but uh, 
Oh, no, it's fine. No, come in. Sorry. We have a visitor on our podcast. <laughs> Hello. What do you think of Donald Trump, if I can ask you? Oh, I'm not a fan not at a all. Fan. No. But I don't really know a ton about it, so I don't <laughs> comment further. This podcasting in an elevator was a great idea. Yeah. I agree. Next, I asked Charlie for his thoughts on this week in state politics, particularly the stalled medical marijuana bill and Pennsylvania's disaster of a state budget. The budget is more fucked than normal because today they started uh, hearings on next year's budget without actually having a budget for the current year that we're in. So it's it's so at the same time they're arguing about next year, they're still arguing about this year, although they're not allowed to argue about this year because the uh, majority leader put a rule in place. So it's just as confusing as the presidential race, really. How do you, how do you even start working on the next year? How does that work? I mean, I don't know, because one of the first things that the governor proposed was another $3 billion in new taxes on top of $4.8 billion in new taxes he proposed last year. He couldn't get that passed. I'm just not sure that it's ever... And I, I applaud the governor for staying his course, because I guess at some point something's got to give, but... I don't know when that is and what that will be. And what about this uh, marijuana bill? What's behind it being stalled like this? Uh, it's just Republican politics, basically. Um, and it's a very small contingent of the Republican Party because uh, in the state house, who are against this, but they happen to be the people in leadership. So they've kept it from getting to a vote. But the, the new uh, Speaker of the House... Uh, has promised on March third to begin debating on March thirteenth, and there will be a vote, hopefully that week. But we've heard all that before, and it's it's never come to fruition. So I'm not holding my breath. And unfortunately, even if we get a bill in the beginning of March, families are going to have to wait months and months before they can ever, you know, because there's so much licensing and procedure that has to go into the bill. It could be a month or a year before anybody ever gets, uh, before anybody could ever get the medication that they need. So it's it's just it's a it's a mess. It's and it, unfortunately, sick kids are sort of at the the ones paying for it. All right, now turn into our arts editor, Bill O'Driscoll. Uh, what's coming up in this week, arts-wise, that uh, it's on your calendar? One thing I was pretty excited about this week is this is uh, the the first Pittsburgh showing of this kind of long lost. Orson Welles movie, and Orson Welles is one of the great film artists of the 20th century. This is a film that uh, of his that uh, was 50 years old, never had a theatrical release in the U.S. for a variety of reasons. <clears throat> but he, it's called it's called Chimes at Midnight. It's his uh, kind of um, uh, collation of five Shakespeare plays to focus on the character of Falstaff, who is often seen as sort of comic relief in these plays, but whom Welles saw as kind of a tragic. As well as a comic character, Wells himself plays it, plays uh, Falstaff in this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's brilliant cinematically. I got to um, preview it just on video, but it's really one of these big screen films that you have to see. The deep focus, black and white photography, fantastic stuff, uh, great acting. Um, just, just, uh, And there's an amazing battle scene in it that's like actually probably decades ahead of its time in terms of like a documentary style that yeah. it uses. And where can you see that? That's going to be at the Hollywood Theater starting this Friday out in Dormont. All right. Is there anything in this week's edition of the paper that uh, you guys are interested in talking about? I think that everyone should check out our cover story this week on uh, the two-year anniversary of Uber and how they've failed to live up to a lot of the promises they made their drivers about being able to make a living. Um, So uh, that's from freelancer Kim Lyons, former Post-Gazette reporter who's covered Uber for the last two years for that paper. Um, yeah, it's, it's a real good read, and I think everybody should, uh, ch- should check it out.
Yeah, there's a there's a great show that's closing this week at the Miller Gallery up on the Carnegie Mellon campus called Maximum Minimum in Unum, and it's uh, just a bunch of it's actually a bunch of artists who graduated from CMU School of Art doing it. The, the, the concept of the show is kind of heady, but it, it's some good stuff up there, and it's worth checking out. Yeah. Next GOP primary this Thursday, CNN. It's going to be a war. Perfect. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Elevator. All right, 22, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Well, best of luck to you. Thank you. Are you competing for a vegetarian soup? Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, vegetarian. Maybe unique, I don't know. Maybe best of. Fingers crossed. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. Would you guys mind telling us what you thought about the soup? Sure, about this particular soup. This, well, yeah, and any other soup you think we might need to taste while we're here. The butternut squash from, um, who was it? The butternut squash from Stagioni was my favorite so far. Really velvety, delicious. But yeah, this one, this is the plantain soup. It was good too. Have you done yeah. a La Papa before? Yes. It's really good. It's delicious. I think it's probably the most traditional Mexican food I've had in Pittsburgh, but I don't know a lot about traditional Mexican food, but <laughs> that's what I think. Is this your first year at the contest? Um, no, I've come one year before. But and it's always a great time. What keeps you coming back? The soup. <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks. going? So far so good. And it's a beautiful day. Today you're going to be tasting a mushroom chorizo soup that was made by Piper's Pub and uh, it's housed inside Commonwealth Press and if you play rock paper scissors I'm being told and you win you get a free t-shirt. It smells fantastic. Woo! Spicy, a little bit, in a weird way. I wanna, can we quote you on that? Yeah. Spicy, dot, 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 in a yeah. weird way. <laughs> Not in a bad way. No, I didn't, you didn't say that. No. <laughs> well, what brings you out to the south side today? Soup, sunshine, good times, crawling. What have you tried so far? Um, our favorite so far has been the pub chip shop, I think, beer cheese chowder definitely pretty great. How are you guys liking the soup contest so far? Um, I think it's awesome. Super cool. We actually marked our favorites. What are your favorite soups so far? Um, uh, I think my favorite was definitely number seven. Yeah, the thick bites. Thick bites. What was it? It was chowder cheese with beer cheese. cheese. Beer cheese chowder. You know, I think we heard from someone else that that might be a, a winner today as well. Yeah. So here we are, the apparent holy grail of the soup contest at Thick Bikes with the Pub Chip Shop's Beer Cheese Soup. Let's walk in and see what all the fuss is about. We are the Pub Chip Shop, 1830 East Carson Street, and this is a jalapeno beer cheese chowder. Oh yeah, the rumors were true. Jury's in. That's unfair because we this is soup five, but jury's in. Pub chip shop rules. Last stop of the day at Silver Eye. We're here to taste Cafe Du Jour's soup, which they're calling a pucker lips now, which is pork heart of darkness soup. I'm a little bit concerned because it has pork heart in it. I'm a little intimidated. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do it for radio. So this is uh, this is Robert Duvall's A Pucker Lips Now Soup. It's based on the book 
pork heart on dark mess. Just we garnish it with a little bit of uh, egg and uh, mushroom, ginger, garlic, and then we put a little bit of pork rind on it, and then we have some uh, pucker dust, which is comprised of uh, sumac and dried black lemon and togarashi. What's togarashi? Togarashi is a uh, it's a ground up ginger and uh, chili and sesame seed. So are you pursuing most unique soup this year again? Uh, as always, yeah. Either that or grossest soup. I don't know. Unique it definitely is. It tastes a little bit like a black bean soup with pork rind on top and a little bit of chili. And as intimidated as I am by the pork cart, I can safely say that I can see nothing that looks like a pork cart, so I'm fooling myself. And once I've done that, the flavor is really excellent. So Celine actually changed her mind about her favorite soup. She ended up loving Stagione's butternut squash soup the best. For more info on the Southside Soup Contest and on the Brasheer Association, you can find links on our City Paper podcast page. Celine Roberts here with your weekend calendar. Treat your ears and throw on some classy duds for a laid-back musical evening. Jazz trio Chess Smith, Craig DeVorn, and Matt Maneri play the City of Asylum on Thursday night. They'll be playing chamber music from their new album, The Bell, on piano, drums, and viola. Stroll through the uptown campus of Duquesne University for an art and architecture tour on Friday afternoon. The Office of Public Art will guide you through the King Richard Mellon Hall of Science and past the Lavelle House Mural for an afternoon of artistic enlightenment. Saturday holds two dance performances, one high in the air and the other saucily on the ground. For airy adventures, Pittsburgh Dance Center hosts an aerial dance performance, Fair Elegance. These dancers perform elegant acrobatics using two long pieces of fabric called aerial silks. The event is also BYOB, so feel free to drink while you're in awe. Look to the Rex Theater for a more risque evening with Steel City Kitty Burlesque. Acts range from sexy to strange, or maybe even strangely sexy. The Rex opened as a vaudeville theater in 1905. It's the new home of Pittsburgh's burlesque scene, so if you can't make it to this show, never fear. There will be many to come. Well, that's all for this weekend. For more listings, visit us at www.pghcitypaper.com. I'm Celine Roberts. Have fun. All right. Thanks, Celine. That does it for episode six of the City Paper Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Also, a big thanks to our senior editors, Charlie Deach, Al Hoff, and Bill O'Driscoll for riding the elevator with us this week. The City Paper Podcast is produced by Ashley Murray and me, Alex Gordon, with Celine Roberts. This episode featured our MP3 Monday track, First Snow, by Brewers Row, available for download on our website, pghcitypaper.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at PGH City Paper and on Facebook where you might expect to find us. Also, make sure to subscribe to the CP Podcast on iTunes. It's a one-click deal, and then you're done. Be sure to tune in next week for my interview with the great Dan Savage talking about the Hump Film Festival. Have a great leap day, everybody. And remember, real life is for March. March.